I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, we step into the Monsterverse for a review of Kong Skull Island Plus. I'm Jeff Braun. I put on my big boy pants this week and went to a scary movie. I'll tell you if Get Out lives up to the hype. Plus... One of the best shows on broadcast TV bows out for its first season and another begins its third season. All that and more, but first it's the news. From the couch. Buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. Warner Brothers is getting ready to reload The Matrix. The 1999 sci-fi action thriller from the Wachowskis is my favorite film of all time, starring Keanu Reeves as Neo, a person who learns his whole life has been a lie and that the world is now controlled by machines. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? Studio didn't really have big expectations for The Matrix when the movie was released March 31st, 1999, but thanks to its awesome story and groundbreaking bullet-time visual effects, it was a smash hit, and it won four Academy Awards. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. All that success led to two sequels, starting in May 2003 with The Matrix Reloaded. Hiya, fellas. It's him. Do we proceed? Yes. He is still only human. It made lots of money, including a giant opening weekend of $91 million, which was impressive for an R-rated movie in 2003. Still impressive, really. But it was not nearly as well-received mostly because the Wachowski siblings overwhelmed it with philosophical gobbledygook and dialogue that was simply hard to follow. You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision. Yeah, it uh, took me a few viewings to understand what the architect was saying. The movie just took itself too seriously! And then later that year, in November, along came The Matrix Revolutions... Everything that has a beginning has an end. And it made even less sense and took itself more seriously. Smith. The program Smith has grown beyond your control. You cannot stop him, but I can. And if you fail, I won't. For the record, I actually like the sequels, but I acknowledge that they could have been so much better. The Wachowskis are not involved in the reboot at this point, but Warners is working on getting a treatment written, and there's word the studio might want Michael B. Jordan to star. If they are looking to do a straight-up reboot, I think it's way too early. But there's talk that studios in general are wanting to figure out how to Rogue One their own franchises. So maybe this won't so much be a reboot, but a new Matrix story that leaves the remaining stories intact. I know Kung Fu. Show me. New trailers and promos for my two favorite TV shows came out this week. Hey, Donnie. Donnie, come in. Donnie. Oh, 
That's a clip of Carrie Coon from the upcoming season of Fargo. In that brief promo, she's driving her police cruiser, she's a cop, on a very snowy highway and comes across a mysterious item on the road. It looks like an old radio or an air conditioner, but that's all the promo is. Who knows where Donnie is? It was one of several cryptic promos released by FX this week for season three of Fargo, which returns April 19th. If you've never seen it, it's an anthology series inspired by the Coen Brothers masterpiece film, 1996's Fargo. I guess you think you're, uh, you know, like an authority figure? That stupid uniform, huh, buddy? King clip on tie there, big man, huh? You know, these are the limits of your life, man. Rule of your little gate here, here. Here's your $4, you pathetic piece of shit. Each season of the show is its own little animal, new characters in a new time period, in a new story set in the upper Midwest. The first two seasons were fantastic. There's no reason to think this season won't be as well. One of the other promos shows Coons police officer Gloria Burgle struggling with an automatic door at a convenience store, while another promo shows Ewan McGregor, who plays brothers this season, licking a stamp and putting it on an envelope. Scintillating stuff. But Fargo does weird things like that. Season 3 comes out April 19th. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha. Yeah. Carrie Coon's other show, my other favorite, is back next month as well, the third and final season of HBO's The Leftovers. What will happen on October 14th, just a couple of weeks from now? Probably nothing. But... If something does happen on October 14th, you've all come to the right place. On the seventh anniversary of the sudden departure, the rains will come, and with them, a great flood. Things are getting biblical on the leftovers this year. The sudden departure, mentioned by Scott Glenn there, refers to the catalyst of the whole series, the literal vanishing into thin air of 2% of the world's population with no explanation. Now the survivors, or leftovers, are gearing up for what some believe will be another departure. So this is the last time we're ever going to see each other, huh? What do you mean? Just the world is ending. Oh, yeah. are the only man alive who could make it stop. He's talking to Justin Theroux, his son, who has endured the weirdest things in the series. He also should have died a few times, but still lives. I shot you in the chest. You got up, walked back into town. You drank poison, buried you, and you went to the other place. I'm not Jesus. I'm not saying you are, but uh, the beard looks good on you. The trailer shows a lot of grieving and rioting and all the fun things that make The Leftovers great. It also shows Coon character, Coon's character Nora cracking up, which is a nice change because usually it's Justin Theroux's character cracking up. Nora lost more in the sudden departure than anyone, her husband, and both her kids. Or did she? There's a bit of a cliffhanger at the end of the trailer. The beginning of the end of The Leftovers starts April 16th on HBO. More news from the couch up next. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Time now for more news from The Couch. That's Charlize Theron beating people up in a new movie trailer that blew my mind this week. 
It looks like John Wick meets Jason Bourne, and it's called Atomic Blonde. Lorraine Broughton, an expert in escape and evasion. Provisioned in intelligence collection. Let's cut the crap, shall we? And hand-to-hand combat. All right. Before I tell you more about this movie trailer, I, I gotta focus on Charlie's Theron's name for a second, because it always messes me up. And I've looked it up in the past, thought I had it figured out, thought it was Theron. I, I, I looked it up recently, in recent months I know, and I thought it was Theron because of this video with Piers Morgan. How do you actually pronounce your name? Charlie's Theron. I must prefer that. <laughs> That's so much sexier. Say that again. Charlie Stron. Charlie Stron. Charlie Stron. I mean, it's by moeilijk om in Afrikaans te praat as as daar net een persoon is wat Afrikaans praat en niemand praat terug nie. So dis 'n bietjie snaaks om. Wow, I didn't even praat. know you fancied me. That's amazing. <laughs> That was her speaking Afrikaans at the end, by the way. Based on that video, I went with Throne, because she says the true way to say it is Throne. But I always hear Theron. So I looked a little bit harder. Found this clip of her on Jimmy Fallon's show. Charlize Theron, uh, oh. welcome uh, to our show. And I, 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 I'm happy I got your name correct. No, well, not just correct. It's it's like music to my ears. Yeah. So I, beautiful. Because everyone says Theron. They screw it up. Yeah. All right, fine. So she goes by Theron, I guess. And she says that's the right way to say it. But the true way to say it is Throne. So which one is it? Here's an interview with Emily Blunt she did last year for The Huntsman. Hi, I'm Paris. Hi. <laughs> Hi, nice to meet you. Good to see you. At first was the beginning because I have some arguing fights with my um, chief because I told them it's Charlie Seven. He told me it's Charlie Theron. And uh, I hear an interview with you where you pronounce your name and it's totally, uh, I said, what? Is it Swan? What? <laughs> swan, yes. My last name is Swan. How did you pronounce your name? What? Uh, it's a long story, but okay. my, the, it, I, I go my I go. I want to hear it now. I go I go by Charlize Theron, but it's the real pronunciation pronunciation of my last name is Thron, which is really Thron. hard for people to say. Yeah. Okay. All right, fine. I'll go with Theron. Back to Atomic Blonde. It is directed by David Leach, who co-directed the first John Wick movie, and film is based on a graphic novel about the deadliest assassin in MI6. It's an impressive set of skills. Talents can be overrated. Lorraine, how well do you know James Gascoigne? Enough to say hello. He's dead. Here is the description. The crown jewel of Her Majesty's Secret Intelligence Service, Agent Lorraine Broughton, is equal parts spycraft, sensuality, and savagery, willing to deploy any of her skills to stay alive on her impossible mission, sent alone into Berlin to deliver a priceless dossier out of the destabilized city. She partners with embedded station chief David Percival, played by James McAvoy, to navigate her way through the deadliest game of spies. Find out who's hunting down our operatives. Where a lot of brave men and women are going to show up dead. Your contact is David Percival. Let me help you with your bags. Welcome to Berlin. F sake. 
Atomic Blonde also stars John Goodman, Sophia Boutella from Star Trek Beyond and the upcoming The Mummy, and Toby Jones from Captain America The First Avenger and this year's uh, fourth season of Sherlock. The movie looks insane, but based on the earlier views, might just be mediocre at best. Set to debut July 28th. I think I f- love you. That's too bad. She's a killer queen. A trailer came out this week for what looks like a very fun summer movie. It's called Baby Driver. So you're just starting your day or did you just get off? They call it go, you know. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a chauffeur. Anyone I'd know? What is your name? Baby. Your name's Baby. B-A-B-Y, Baby. Baby Driver is writer-director Edgar Wright's first movie since 2013's At World's End, which was his third in the trilogy he did with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, along with Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. It stars Ansel Elgort as Baby, a young getaway driver looking to get out of the business. Elgort played Caleb in the Insurgent movies, and if you didn't see him in that, you probably don't know him. But he's a fresh-faced young man befitting the name Baby. This one you say listen to the music all the time? Is he uh, mental? Mental meaning slow. Was he slow? No. He had an accident when he was a kid. Still has a hum in the drum. Plays music to drown it out. And that's what makes him the best. Those are the bad guys, led by Kevin Spacey. The crew also includes John Bernthal, TV's Punisher and of Walking Dead fame, Jamie Foxx and John Hamm. Baby Meets a Girl, Deb the Waitress, played by Lily James. She was Lady Rose on Downton Abbey. So, Baby wants out of the crime game, which, of course, is always easier said than done. One more job and I'm done. One more job and we're straight. Now, I don't think I need to give you the speech about what happens when you say no, how I could break your legs and kill everyone you love, because you already know that, don't you? Yeah. The moment you catch feelings is the moment you catch a bullet. And your uh, waitress girlfriend, she's cute. Let's keep it that way. I want us to head west and never stop. You in? I'm in, baby. So it's the Edgar Wright version of a pulpy crime story, and it looks like a lot of fun. Baby Driver rolls into theaters August 11th. One of these days, baby, you're gonna get blood on your hands. Time to face the music. Baby, we need to get out of here. I have to end this. Are we in bed together now? Baby. 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 Michael Myers. This is Mike Myers. It should be the Halloween mask. This is a Halloween mask. No, the killer dude from Halloween. Oh, you mean Jason. No. Baby, you tell me who does. That is a news from the couch. That sounds fun. I like Edgar Wright. Yep. His movies are good times, so I will check that out for sure. We'll have a quick look here at what is coming to home video this upcoming week, starting with this. My theater's been going through some pretty rough times lately, so what do I do? Quit? No. My next show is going to be, drumroll please, a singing competition. 
Sing, the hit cartoon from what is the is it Illumination Studios, I think is what they're called. The folks that did uh, Despicable Me. And The Secret Life of Pets. Yeah, there you go. So that, that's, uh, that's going to be leading the way uh, for on-demand stuff, DVD, and Blu-ray. What else is on? Uh, the Ben Affleck flop, Live by Night, Miss Sloan, and Assassin's Creed, which I think actually people liked, the people that saw it. Uh, really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I've seen, I've heard a couple of nerds say good things about it. Okay. Go. How about that? I did not go to see it. I thought it looked bad. It was not getting the best reviews. No, so. like when's the last time a video game movie was really worthwhile. Uh, also on Digital HD, I see this week coming as Office Christmas Party. That's on uh, Digital HD this week and then Blu-ray DVD in a couple of weeks after that. And, and on, on Netflix, Dave Chappelle's back to two stand-up comedy specials drop on Tuesday on Netflix. So that wow. is going to be awesome. That, and and uh, Amy Schumer had one last week that people say is very funny. Oh, wow. Two Dave Chappelle. That's going to be a big deal for Netflix. Yep. And speaking of Netflix, Iron Fist arrived uh, this weekend, actually. It debuted... On uh, debuts the seventeenth, and it's getting bad reviews. So I don't even. Yeah, are you gonna watch it? I don't know. I'll have to. <laughs> I'll have to deliberate that. Yeah. Uh, up next, we're gonna tell you about Kong Skull Island and Get Out. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett, and we both went to see Kong Skull Island this week. You came here looking for a tracker. Who or what? Am I tracking? That's a big one. Before we leave this island, we're going to bring that ape down. We're all going to die together out here. (laughs) (laughs) He shouldn't have come here. Kong Skull Island, rated PG-13. Experience it in IMAX March 10th. I basically describe this movie as it's like if Michael Bay had a sense of humor. The basic story is pretty simple. Uh, It's at the end of the Vietnam War in the 70s, and John Goodman puts together a joint scientific military search party to go to this uncharted island in the South Pacific to investigate its geology. That's the story anyways. In truth, he's pretty sure there's monsters on that island. He wants to find out for sure. They get there, and yep, King Kong. They fight and run away from and then fight Kong and other monsters all throughout. That's basically it. Samuel L. Jackson plays the army boss. Tom Hiddleston is the tracker we heard in the clip there. Uh, the guy they hired to find their way around the jungle. Brie Larson is a photographer they bring along. And John C. Riley is a crazy guy they find already on the island. And uh, King Kong is in it. I liked how he is sort of more of a supporting character in his own movie. No one really, you know, tries to understand him or anything like Naomi Watts did in the Peter Jackson King Kong. Brie Larson did a little bit, but more so just sort of general curiosity. Kong doesn't like fall in love with her or anything. And uh, John C. Riley, I thought he was the he made the whole movie he's basically the only character i really cared about he was a weird welcome addition to what was otherwise a pretty cliche group of characters but that's the way these movies sort of go i mean there's so much money at stake that they don't really stray away from the tried and true tropes so but throwing riley into the mix was a genius addition he sort of steals the movie at least when there's no outright action happening the action i thought Brett, was the big draw very intense kong is a very angry ape he's comes across as really unhinged at times it's sort of felt like everything was about to 
just go off the rails at points. It was fast-paced, but you could still tell what was happening. And I thought the 3D really added to it, which is pretty rare for 3D, in my opinion. Uh, my buddy and I wanted to go see it in 2D, but our schedules forced us into a 3D showing, and we both agreed that it was worth it. So we thought the Kong fights were truly amazing. I mean, we've all seen enough lavish, destructive spectacles in the last 20 years that it can be hard to impress, but this really does. And the other action scenes as well, there's a lot of big monsters and creepy crawlies. So some of it was a little too gross for me. There's an impaling I wish I hadn't seen, but overall, I, I was, you know, it was just it was a fantastic ride. So with those visuals plus the fun strangeness of John C. Riley's character, just uh, it's, it's just sort of like a delightfully weird and sort of unpredictable movie that uh, I'm going to give four couch cushions out of five to because it was way better than I thought it was going to be. Same here. I thought it was more fun than I expected. I don't know why I expected less, and maybe it's just because I was somewhat disappointed with Godzilla in 2014. Kong Skull Island is the second entry in the MonsterVerse from Legendary Pictures. Maybe my expectations for Godzilla were just too high because I've always dug Godzilla. So I kept them low for this, expecting mindless fun with probably too much Michael Bay-style comedy, uh, which is not good comedy. Turns out it was... uh, a simple but great story, and I actually I liked the characters, even though they were cliched. I thought that they humanized them just enough to kind of care about what happens to them. I thought it was just the right amount of comedy. It, they didn't overload it. Although they, they dropped their one F-bomb, because I'm guessing this was a PG-13 in yeah. the States. They dropped their one F-bomb in such a random spot. I, I liked it. That I love that. Did like, you? Yeah, because okay. usually it's, you know, especially when Samuel L. Jackson's in your movie, yeah. if you got one F-bomb and it's him versus a King Kong, you'd sort of expect him to, you know... I have some really clever line in which he gets to use it, but it's just tossed off in casual conversation. I was like, wait, did that guy just swear? That yeah. That was so weird. Oh, okay. Well, I, I thought I thought it kind of fell flat, but uh, Braun likes it, so we'll, we'll call it a draw. <laughs> I loved the cast with Brie Larson and Hiddleston, Tom Hiddleston, John Goodman, Corey Hawkins, uh, Samuel L. Jackson in particular I really enjoyed because I think he's often a caricature in movies like this, but I think here he actually was really solid as this this man looking for one last fight, and Riley, as you mentioned, was solid. He, he's always great. He, he's so good at both comedy and drama. I know. And in this movie, he gets, gets to do both. If anything, I think maybe the movie was cast too well, because you've got all these great performers like these. You want yeah. them to be able to perform, but they were kind of a sideshow next to Kong. Uh, so that, I don't, I mean, that's not really a complaint. It's just sort of like, I wish that they got to do more. A great soundtrack full of seventies hits had a nice touch. I'd like the, the map of Skull Island that they show the, the satellite grab. Uh, I believe it's about the same as it always has been oh, really? past King Kong. Does it look movies. like a skull? Cause I kept looking at it. I was like, that doesn't look like a skull. Does it? Subtle. It was a very subtle oh. sort of weird angle, but, uh, it was, I think it was similar to the past designs, including Peter Jackson's bloated Nightmare from 2005. Uh, Technical standpoint, marvelous. Visual effects, spectacular. Incredibly inventive action scenes. Uh, As far as the effects go, should get nominated for an Oscar. Peter Jackson's Kong did win the Uh Oscar for Best Visual Effects. And uh, I was in the same boat with the 3D. I thought it was super effective. Not often do I find that with live action. But no, I really usually, dug it here. Yeah, usually 10 minutes into the movie, I forget that it's even in 3D. Yeah. 
and maybe one other point throughout the movie of like, oh yeah, it's 3D, but this kept reminding you throughout. And maybe it's because there was so much digital effects, but even in the live, in the non-digital effects parts, I thought the people looked really good. I think they, they did a really nice job using 3D here. And the jungle backdrops always, uh, you know, that's effective in 3D as well. Yeah, it was so just, going on. it worked. The sound mix, mix too was superb. There are a couple of scenes where the lack of sound is used to great dramatic effect, which I really liked. And it wasn't just popcorn entertainment, you know, they actually had a lot of stuff to say about the dangers of war and going into someone else's territory and then declaring them your enemy because they're just trying to defend themselves against you, the invader, and, uh, you know, man and machines destroying nature and all that stuff. And after the credits, there there is a scene, nice scene that ties it back to Godzilla. Eventually, the two of them will face off in 2020. Not sure how I'm supposed to cheer for one or the other. I'm kind of hoping they have to band together and fight a foe that is greater than each of them individually. Yeah. It's weird, though, because I'm trying to remember that Godzilla movie took itself very seriously. Yeah. And this does not. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It seems like a weird kind of mashup. It's like, what, what is the movie that combines those two things? Well, and maybe they, maybe they were lighter it's in like, this one because Godzilla, I think that was one of the criticisms that it was, it was so serious and it, I don't know, there was something missing from that. And I feel like they got this right. Yeah. I really, but I will say, I'm glad I didn't watch the, 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 the final trailer for this because it gives away so much. Does it? The Godzilla trailers barely show oh, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in Kong, the final trailer, which just came out a couple of weeks ago, it, it gave away like almost King Kong's entire first scene. <laughs> so thank God I didn't watch that. Uh, I'm going to give, same with you, four couch cushions out of five for Kong Skull Island. Up next, Jeff's going to tell you about Get Out. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and I went to see another movie this week. It's called Get Out. I'm bringing you home. I'm back in the Get out. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Get out. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. I would have voted for Obama for a third term. Get out. Something is weird. It's the people. Get out. Something wrong? I can't move. You've been chosen. Uh, Written and directed by Jordan Peele of Key and Peele fame, but it's not a comedy. It stars Daniel Kaluuya, Allison Williams, Catherine Keener, Bradley Whitford, and Stephen Root. Now, I haven't been to anything billed as a scary movie since, well, I thought seven, but I guess it must have been the sixth sense because that counts as a scary movie, right? Sure. And I saw that in theaters and what's that, 99, 2000? Yeah. I was spoiled by the twist going into The Sixth Sense. I accidentally read it in a magazine, so I didn't get the full effect of that one. Anyways, it had been a long time because by and large, I'm a Freddy cat. That's been well documented on this show. Although it's not so much the scariness that gets at me, it's the gore. I can't handle the gross out stuff. So Get Out was a pleasant surprise because even though it's billed as a horror comedy, it's not really either. It's a very eerie thriller, if it's anything. It might even defy a proper genre. But it's definitely not like a slasher, torture porn type horror movie. There was one gross thing. It wasn't even an act of violence. It was something you had sort of a a long beat to prepare for. So I was like, oh, I see what's coming right here. I got plenty of time to glance away from it, which is what I did. Uh, Now, to be clear, there is a lot of violence, not all the way through the movie, but once it starts, it really starts. Uh, Although it's still, you know, more restrained than I expected, which I thought was a smart move on Peel's part because the story is what sells this movie, not the violence. The basic premise being that that our hero, Chris, is going to meet his girlfriend's parents for the first time. 
Chris is a young black man, his girlfriend is white, and he's a little nervous about meeting the folks because, well, white people make him a little nervous. He's been to this rodeo before and he's anticipating an uncomfortable weekend, and he's right. They seem to mean well, but it's that weird, friendly racism where everyone's polite and makes a point of mentioning how they like black people, but they're still treating him differently because he is black. And then all their rich friends come over for a party and there's even more of that type of thing. I would also mention this is set at a big country house miles away from anywhere. The only other black people are the hired help and this one guy at the party, and they all act very strange. Something peculiar is going on in these parts, and Chris isn't entirely sure he wants to find out what exactly is going on. He also has this buddy back in the city who he texts with and talks to on his cell phone, and that guy who works for the TSA at the airport does some sleuthing for him. He's also the real comic relief in the movie, and he provides actually a few pretty big belly laughs. Every now and then it's like, oh yeah, Peel directed this. He knows funny. Uh, and of course, there are some scares, a few standard jump scares, uh, violent elements in the general eerie vibe that permeates Chris's situation. The story takes some genuinely surprising twists and turns. It's an impressive blend of, you know, proper thriller story and social satire and commentary. It's working on a few higher levels than your run-of-the-mill thriller or horror movie, I guess. I mean... I can't really compare it to anything because I don't watch these things. But I'm glad I watched this one. I highly recommend it. And you don't have to take my word for it. It is back at 100% really? on Rotten Tomatoes. How's it? Because it was, right? Yeah. Famously. Yeah. And then it dropped down to 99% a week ago. Yeah. this guy, Armand White, who is always the contrarian, decided he didn't like it. Uh, I don't even want to get into Armand White, but you can go look him up and get mad for yourself like a lot of other people do. <laughs> Anyways, so I thought that's what it was going to be. And then I was on the Rotten Tomatoes page and it refreshed and it went back to 100. And I was like, what? And it's looked it's still 199 fresh reviews, one rotten review, Mr. White's. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you, that would work out to 99.5% and they just rounded it up to 100 because, I mean, it's 200 reviews and only one of them is off. Amazing. Yeah. So there you go. I'm going to give it. Four couch cushions out of five, and if you you know if you can handle a little blood and a lot of swears, you'll like it. you'll just love it. Awesome! There well, you go. Good for you for going to see it, Jeff. I know. I wanted to see what the hype was about. I was like, man, this thing sounds like the real deal. And I I talked to people who had seen it, mm-hmm. and I asked them over and over again until they were getting very mad at me. I was like, uh, just about the gore situation because I was concerned about it. Right? I was yeah. like, look at man, I can't I can't watch no throats being slashed and stuff. I I just can't. <laughs> So you got to tell me, is there gross stuff in there? They're like, just a little bit, but you'll have time to look away. Don't worry about it. It's like, okay, fine. (laughs) Okay. So in a few minutes we have left here, I want to talk quickly about a couple of my favorite broadcast, well, not just broadcast shows really, but shows in general on television. One of those shows wrapped up its first season, This Is Us, the NBC show that airs on Tuesday nights. Rather odd to wrap up in March as opposed to May. But it was an 18-episode season instead of the typical 22. This Is Us is about Jack and Rebecca and their three kids. Jack is played by Milo Ventimiglia. Rebecca is played by Mandy Moore. The cast also includes Emmy winner Sterling K. Brown, Chrissy Metz, and Justin Hartley. To name a few, this has an extraordinary ensemble cast. And it's a show that consistently makes me cry. Tears of joy, tears of sadness, tears from simply being overwhelmed by raw emotion. It's become so commonplace, in fact, that when it doesn't make me well up, feels kind of weird. <laughs> um, and it's, it's just an excellent show. This week's finale was a doozy. Jack and Rebecca got into a fight, a big one, that started this way. I'm gonna go to some meetings, get help. How long has it been going on, Jack? 
the drinking. A few weeks? I had no idea. Well, you haven't really been around. Oh. Got it. Awesome. Thank you. She's mad because he started drinking again. He's mad because she's not around anymore because she's singing in this band with her ex-boyfriend. And as you heard, within 20 seconds of the discussion's beginning, he could not resist taking a shot at her. So, less than four minutes later, the fight ended this way. I am supporting this family financially and emotionally, and still, I am being attacked for not being supportive. That makes me want to ram my head through a damn wall. Wow. Let your father out, Jack. Let him out. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't it feel good to, I to let go of the whole Mr. Perfect charade? I have you everything that you wanted. I have sacrificed you for this sacrificed. family. Yet you don't you know that half of the load that I have had to carry. You, to make every you don't know the things. You don't know what I've given up. You don't no, know no, the no. things that I've had to do. The you crap that I've had to eat. And I follow, yeah, follow, yeah, follow. I devoted but my life to you so that you can have a life. How dare you? Ridiculous. If you've ever been in a relationship, there's a chance you've had a brutal fight like that where you lose control and you're screaming at each other. It was an incredibly stirring scene, and yet it was so simple. It was just a married couple having a fight. That's normal life, and that's why I like this show. It takes normal life, puts it on TV. It's a great story, great acting. I love it, and I'm looking forward to two more seasons because NBC in a rare two-season renewal. Uh, So looking forward to that. We only have a minute left here. I'll just quickly talk about American Crime, season three. Debuted on ABC, very quietly debuted on ABC this week. It airs on Sunday. I say quietly because American Crime is a critical darling, but it's got really bad ratings, so good for ABC for keeping it going. It's an anthology series, much like the show Fargo that Jeff mentioned earlier this hour. Tells a new story each season. It's created by John Ridley, the guy behind the Oscar-winning film 12 Years a Slave, and it focuses on a crime. Each season focuses on a crime and how it affects various people and season three is much broader than focusing on a specific crime talks about forced labor sex trafficking illegal immigrants and it looks like murder as well amazing cast led by the now two-time emmy winner regina king felicity huffman is back timothy hutton and lily taylor are back and cherry jones is actually one of the new additions this year it's just exquisite television it's not a happy show It's actually really dark, but you will be happy to experience such great television. Again, it airs Sunday nights on ABC. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Podcast bonus. Didn't have time for this on the air, so I wanted to talk about something else I watched this week. I did lots of homework this week for you. A new comedy debuted on NBC on Tuesday after This Is Us. I have been excited about this for a couple of months now. John Lithgow stars in Trial and Error. This March, America's next great crime series begins. I did not kill my wife. I mean, back in the day, I was known as a lady killer. Do I think Larry did it? Absolutely not. What are these stripes? Those are Larry's roller skating tracks who are blood. I have a great legal team. We need to come up with a plausible story based on the evidence. Birds. Should I write it down? Sure. Trial and Error premieres March 7th on NBC.
He plays a poetry professor in a small southern town and is accused of killing his wife. It's sort of a send-up of the true crime genre, which has been blowing up in recent times thanks to shows like Making a Murderer from Netflix and The Jinx on HBO. And I had really high hopes for this because I love John Lithgow. And it got off to a great start. And I mean, like, right out of the gate. Hilarious in its first 30 seconds. I'm sitting there laughing, enjoying the show. I'm excited because it started with two episodes on Tuesday, so I was ready for a full hour of hilarity after the emotionally draining season finale of This Is Us. Unfortunately, that was the last time I laughed while watching Trial and Error. It went off the rails immediately by making most of the supporting characters as bumpkin as possible, and then even more so. And hey, I mean, it's worked well for NBC to have a cast of quirky characters for various sitcoms of theirs. The show Superstore does it. Parks and Rec did it. The Office did it. And they all owe some thanks to Arrested Development on Fox, which was ahead of its time in North America with a single-camera-looking comedy. Although I don't know why they call it single-camera, because it's often multiple cameras anyways. Anyway, they were tripping over themselves on trial and error, trying to make it super small town and make the characters extra quirky and sometimes really dim-witted, which I think is kind of insulting to small towns and insulting to big cities to think that small towns are like this. I don't know. Sherry Shepard is part of the supporting cast. Her character, for example, has facial amnesia, dyslexia, and... Involuntary Emotional Expression Disorder, i.e. she laughs at inappropriate times and she can't stop herself. I'm not even sure if that's real. I don't really care. While I was taking notes, I wrote down, she has facial amnesia, dyslexia, and this emotional expression disorder? Come on! And then it turns out, (laughs) after I wrote that, I learned she has yet another syndrome called Stendhal Syndrome, which actually is real. And it involves her getting overwhelmed by beautiful things like art. If she sees a nice painting, she passes out. I suspect that's going to be a running gag through the whole season where she just keeps revealing more and more of these syndromes. I found it obnoxious. Also in my notes, I wrote 11 minutes in, if not for John Lithgow, I'd turn this off. On top of the bumpkin small-town humor, it was also super childish. It's set in a place called East Peck, South Carolina, so the local team is called the Peckers, and it's a logo of uh, chicken. The judge's name is spelled H-O-R-S-E-D-I-C-H, which the judge says is pronounced Heisendike or something like that, but naturally it gets pronounced horse Well, I can't even finish that. There's a character who has OCD issues and his compulsion involves self-stimulation whenever he gets nervous. If you don't know what that means, I'm not going to explain it. I'm sure you can figure it out. I paused the show to look up some other reviews and I was stunned to find mostly positive reviews. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. But honestly, I laughed one time, and it was in those first 30 seconds. I finally turned it off 10 minutes into the second episode. I just couldn't take it anymore. Unfunny, juvenile, tries too hard to make most of the characters idiots, and I hated it. Trial and error sucks. Thanks for listening to The Couch Potatoes.